Well, I think almost all of us here uh, took part in our prayer week in some shape or form, and particularly in our 24 hours of prayer on Friday night through to Saturday night. If you didn't, basically, uh, we split the day and the night, 24 hours, into hour slots, and uh, everyone took a turn who was on the list to take an hour to pray, and we were praying over some specific things in the life of the church that are coming over this next year. And I'm sure if you were part of that, you found a really uh, unifying time and a really blessed time. I know I certainly did. I just felt just a real closeness to you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. I felt a real unity in the church. And what a blessing it was to be able to just come and, and bring these impossible prayers to God. The stuff that we were asking for, we cannot do, can we? Uh, and that's why we come and we ask the only one who can. And we come and we cry out to him to come and provide for our needs, to come and do a work in this city that we long for, to do a work in our hearts and God's people that we long for. And, and it was a privilege to be able to do that. And it was definitely the most, 20, the most encouraging 24 hours of my year so far. And I'm sure, I keep saying like, this is the high point of the year. It doesn't get worse from here. It's not like all downhill from here, but it is a wonderful way to start off the year. And it was interesting. Like we weren't, all of us weren't praying for 24 hours solid. Uh, we were taking a, an hour each, and I'm sure all of us were just about our daily business for the rest of the hours. Yesterday afternoon, so I was on one of the early hour slots. Yesterday afternoon, um, Ruthie, Micah, and myself, and Miles, we went over to, to watch a football match in Birkenhead, Tramia against Warsaw, which is Miles's team. And it was a great match. It was a one-all draw, a nice Christian scoreline. No one loses. Everyone wins. And it was a really well-contested well match, wasn't it, Miles? It was great. And it was interesting. So when, when uh, Ruthie and Mike and I go to the match, we always sit in the same seats. And we're halfway up the, the stadium, the cop, it's called. And it's a reasonably safe area of the stadium. So lots of families and, you know, it's a, an all right place to go with the kids. For whatever reason, I'd got the ticket selection messed up. And I ended up sitting behind the goal with the kids. Now, if you've been to a football match before or you've watched it on telly, you'll know that the seats behind the goal are reserved for certain types of people. And uh, they were all there. And, um, you know, we kind of just went with the flow. It wasn't worth moving. It was a bit of an eye-opener for the kids. These particular type of people like to use certain types of words and certain hand gestures and say certain things about the goalkeeper while he's in close proximity. So we're taking all this in. It was interesting. For the most part of the match, Tramia played really well. That's my team. And we had the better of, of uh, Walsall, Miles' team. And for 85 minutes, we were definitely on top and we were going for it. And it got to the 85th minute. And everyone knew that we were going to get a, another goal. Like, we just had so many chances. The momentum was with us. We were shooting towards, towards our goal as well. So there was so much excitement. But every opportunity that came in, the guys just kept missing it and just totally, like, messing up. Uh, they just couldn't hit the target at all. And there was a, a, you know, quite a few people around me, a chap behind me in particular, let's um, call him Ted for argument's sake. Ted for 85 minutes was in the game. He was loving Tramia. He was all about Tramia. He was singing the songs, Tramia Till I Die. He was like, you know, talking about how great the team was until they started missing these opportunities. And every time they missed, you know, they, even I could have got the goal. And every time they messed it up, he would just throw a tirade of abuse and it, you know we got that upset at one point Ted's wife pulled him over and you know apologized to us and told him just to wind his neck and calm down a little bit he was getting really fired up and it was interesting I had this really paradoxical moment which means um you know two conflicting things going on at the same time 
where I had just this anger all around me. It wasn't just Ted. It was everyone was just going nuts and crazy and just, you know, just fuming at these football players. All of this anger spilling out. And at the same time, in my pocket, I had my phone with WhatsApp going off. And if you're part of the 24-hour prayer, you were part of this um, WhatsApp group. And the messages that were coming on this WhatsApp group were in stark contrast to what I was experiencing in front of me. So it's interesting, Ted for 85 minutes was in love with this team until they started to fail him and until they started to make mistakes. And then the love was quickly gone. But there was beautiful things going off in my pocket on this WhatsApp chat. People throwing on verses and, and prayers and songs and reflections and some hearty exegesis from the Old Testament. Just beautiful truths that, that came from a place of love. It's interesting, we were praying for five specific things. And I found this, I don't know whether you found this, but I almost forgot what we were praying for I was just, as I was praying because I was just caught up in worship. And I really had a sense of that as I saw these messages coming on that, that we, we were just caught up in just this moment of love and worship and praise and a deep desire to see the city won for Jesus. See that contrast between the two loves there. A love that was so fickle and depended on these guys doing the right thing. And a loving God's people that was just starkly different. It was just an overflow of thankfulness and gratefulness for all that God is, for all that we know he has done, for all that we know that he's doing. See, the love that God's people have, folks, it is different. It's different to any other love that we will experience in the world. The love that God's people have is a deeper love. It's a transformative love. It's a richer love than any type of love that we can experience in the world because the source of our love is different. I'm going to see that now as we start in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. We're going to spend three months walking through Colossians. And here is our hope and here is our prayer. Over these next three months, we would fall more in love with Jesus. Our series is called this, Christ Alone. And the reason we've called it that, you're going to see it all over the book. It's hard to avoid it as you read it through. This letter that Paul has written here is all about Jesus. 
It's all about helping us see as God's people that God wants us to be all in. He wants us to love Christ with all that we have. He wants us to, to see that all that we have that is good comes from Christ alone. That all we need in this life and the life to come is Christ alone. And our heart and our prayer over these next three months is that we as individuals and we as Liberty Church would grow to love Jesus more. That's the output. In three months' time, we want to be people who love Jesus more because we understand a little bit more about who he is. But not just that, as we love him more, we would love those around us more. That the divine love that we receive as we find ourselves in him, and you're going to see those two words pop up again and again and again through these four chapters, in him, in him, in him. The divine love and all of the divine attributes that we get to enjoy in Christ Jesus. As we enjoy those, as we're filled up with those, they overflow to the people around us. And we're going to start with seeing how God's love does that in his people. How we receive the love from Christ. And as we receive it, that spills out to those around us. So can I encourage you, if you haven't read this little letter, please read it. It'll take you five or ten minutes. It's four chapters. uh, And uh, down in verse one, we just see a little bit about the context of what's going on. It tells us that it's written by Paul, the apostle. The apostle is just the name in the Bible given to those that God has called to proclaim his gospel and build up his church. It's written by Paul, the apostle, along with his apprentice, Timothy. And he writes it to the church in Colossae. So most of us probably never heard of it maybe or never visited Colossae it's it's pretty much a lot of ruins at the moment but if you visited Colossae maybe 200 years before the birth of Christ what you'd find is is a bustling city a thriving city a city that was a real economic center in the Roman Empire so 200 years before Jesus was born there was a, a, a highway that would go all the way from the coast so so this is like southwest modern Turkey it would go all the way from the coast and it would go all the way up through Europe and Colossae was was right on that highway so if you wanted to get trade from your boats in the sea up to Europe, which, which people did if you wanted to make money, you would have to pass through Colossae. And Colossae were well known for making beautiful textiles and fabrics. And so a, a real economy was built in this city. People would pass through and they'd buy and trade and, and, and money and wealth and, and uh, just a real uh, cosmopolitan culture broke out in this city. Until... About 180 years before Christ was born, the Romans decided to move this road to the west. And instead of passing through Colossae, it passed through another city called Laodicea. We're going to see that pop up later in the letter here. And Laodicea were also good at making textiles and and, uh, fabrics. And they basically outcompeted Colossae. And what was once a thriving, bustling city now became a city in the middle of nowhere. You just wouldn't go there. You didn't need to go there. It became an insignificant place. That's where Paul's writing to. In fact, it's interesting, Paul never visited this church. You get this beautiful uh, kind of uh, second stage of church planting going on when we read this letter. So we'll see in verse 7 of chapter 1 that we've just read, this guy Epaphras pops up. There's some funky names in this letter, particularly as we get to chapter 4. Um, I'm going to see who's on the prayer rotor for, for one particular part in chapter four. It's going to be interesting, but just go with us. If we say it confidently, that's where it sounds like. But Epaphras, there's one of the easy ones. Epaphras was the guy who planted the church. 
And it seems if you look in Acts 19 and just follow the thread through, Epaphras was probably uh, someone who was converted to Christianity under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. So in Acts 19, you see a church is planted in Ephesus, and it seems Epaphras is saved under that ministry, and then he's sent out by Paul to plant a church in Colossae. Paul never visited. He knew a few folks from the church, but he never stepped foot in Colossae himself. And now in chapter 4, verse 2, we haven't read it yet, but we're going to see in a few weeks' time, we're going to see the purpose of Paul writing. Paul is in jail as he writes this letter. He's in Rome. And this man, Epaphras, visits Paul and he wants some help. He wants some counsel. He wants some advice. We see that Epaphras comes to Paul and he's, he's pleading with God in prayer. He's struggling in prayer for the Colossians. And in particular, we see in verse 2 of chapter 4, the real heart of his, his prayer is this, that he wants the Colossians to stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That's the, the kind of general purpose for this letter. And the pastor of this little church, Epaphras, has become concerned. He wants God's people to be, to be sure and steadfast. And he's concerned because false teachers have started to come into the church. And they're starting to get alongside some of the Christians and they're saying things like, yes, Jesus, but also you need this kind of higher spirituality. Yes, Jesus, but you also need to observe these different festivals and feasts. Yes, Jesus, plus. When in reality, Epaphras knows that, that it's Christ alone. And Paul knows that it's Christ alone. All we need for salvation and all we need for, for a life of walking in obedience to God is Christ alone. And so that's what Paul writes back to the Colossians as he writes this letter. The heart of his letter is, listen, folks, Christ alone is enough. He's enough for salvation and he's enough for fruitful living. That's the message, the heart of Colossians. Jesus Christ alone is enough. And that truth, that truth that Jesus Christ is alone, that the fully complete life is only found in him, that he is all sufficient, that truth, Christ alone that truth transforms hearts, transforms churches, and transforms cities. And that's why we're saying that we're so excited to walk through this letter over the next few months because it's going to bring about a change in us. Because when we understand that Christ alone is enough, when we understand the magnitude of the gospel, when we understand all that he's done, when we see his love towards us, that will change us. And it will make us want to love those around us even more. That's why this letter is so important to the church. Written to an insignificant city in the middle of nowhere. And even Epaphras, the poor fellow, he's only mentioned three times in, in the New Testament. He's insignificant. There's no celebrity about this letter. Colossians isn't a celebrity church. Epaphras isn't a celebrity teacher. But this is one of the most important truths that the Christian can ever hear. Jesus Christ is enough. It's interesting, in the eyes of the world, Colossae is a nothing town. But Paul's got a mad love for them. You see that in the first couple of verses? Look at how he addresses the church as he writes to them. Saints, faithful brothers and sisters. And then he addresses them with that beautiful apostolic greeting, grace and peace. 
He's never met these people, but he feels a deep bond of love for them. And in verse 3, a deep thankfulness for them. He's never met them, yet he's so thankful for them. And did you see what he's thankful for in particular? He's thankful because of their love. He's thankful because of their love. Twice Paul mentions their love just in these eight verses. He talks about their love for all the saints in verse 4. And then down in verse 8, he talks of their love in the Spirit. These guys have gained a reputation with the Apostle Paul because of their love. Is there any better reputation to have? Like I long that that would be the reputation that I have. The people don't look, they don't know what I look like. Either. They don't know who I am or what I, what I sound like. But maybe when they hear about Neil, they hear about someone who loves. And that's what I long for us as a church. That we wouldn't be known for, for, for the preaching or for the music or for the ministry or for the good coffee or the building, whatever it is. But that when people think of Liberty Church, they think, oh, those people, they, they just love. They love God and they love others. Like that is how simple it is to be a Christian, folks. Isn't that what Jesus said to us when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love God and love your neighbor. That is what we should be known as, folks. We don't need to be known to be doing anything else but just to be great people who love, who love God, who love Jesus for all that he's done and love those around us as an outflow, as a response of the love that we have received from him. The church in Colossae gain a reputation with Paul because of their love. But, but look, it, it isn't an ordinary type of love. Like these aren't known, these people aren't known for for being nice people or doing good things. The love that they have is different. See, in verse four and five, we understand a little bit more of, of what this love looks like. Paul talks about this connection between faith and hope. Faith and hope lead into this, this, this spectacular type of love that has gained them a reputation. And if you know Paul's letter to the Corinthians, the first Letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Paul picks up the, this theme of three again, faith, hope, and love. You heard that? He talks about faith, hope, and love. These three remain, and the greatest of these is love. He talks here of faith in Christ Jesus in verse 4, being a marker of the church in Colossae. And their love is flown from the faith that they have in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there when he's talking about their faith, he's trying to help us see that the love that they have isn't a worldly type of love. This love is only found in those who profess Christ alone as their Lord and Savior, those who put their faith in him. We see that their love flows from the hope that they have, particularly in verse five, the hope that they have in heaven. So it's not a love that's driven by maybes and possibilities. This is a love that is driven by the certainties of what lies ahead because of what Christ has done. He's connecting faith and hope and he's saying because of the faith and the hope that you have in Christ Jesus, you are now known as people who love, who love all the saints, who are a people who love in the spirit. The love that they have flows from the faith that they have and from the hope that they have and it comes to them in verse six through the gospel. The love that they have flows from the faith that they have and from the hope that they have, which comes to them through the gospel. And I want to just sit here for a while, just ruminating and talking about the gospel, because that's what Paul does. He gives half of this passage over to, to just thinking and meditating about what the gospel is. 
So we read here that Epaphras has brought the gospel to the church in Colossae. And when he's talking about the gospel, he's just talking about a, a message of good news. So Epaphras brings the gospel to the church and he tells us that they receive the gospel, verse 5, as the word of truth. So the gospel is a word of truth. It can be trusted. It can be believed. And in verse 6, he says that that gospel is bearing fruit all around the world and in the church in Colossae. So we know that the gospel is, is a word of truth. It can be trusted, but it's also a message that transforms and changes. It's bearing fruit. And then in verse 6, we see it's a message of grace. It comes to us freely. We don't pay for the gospel. We don't work for the gospel. God gives the, the good news to us, brings the good news to us freely. It costs him everything. But to those who will receive it, it comes at no cost. And in verse 7, in verse 7, we see that Paphos' message was only ever about one person. His whole ministry was dedicated to Christ. The gospel is the true, transformative, gracious message of Christ. That's what it is. And it's that message that brings the church in Colossae faith and hope. And it's out of their faith and hope that they become a people who are marked by their love. It is the gospel ultimately then that fuels the love of God's people. And the reason that that is, is because the gospel is a message of love. At the heart of the gospel message is a message of love. Think about what, what it is. Think about what the good news of Jesus Christ is. Think about what the gospel tells us. We are a messed up people. We're broken. We are sinners. We have offended God at every turn. We have come into this life, not, not seeking to please him, but with our backs turned to him. We've chosen our own path. We've broken his commandments. We've trampled on his truth and we have profaned his name. As we come into this life, we deserve nothing but the judgment of God. His righteous, perfect judgment for our sin. That is what we deserve. And yet the gospel tells us a story of the greatest love. In light of our sin, God sends his son in love. And Christ Jesus comes and in love, he lives the perfect life that we couldn't live. And in love, he suffers on a cross for our sin. And in love, he bears our judgment for us. And in love, he is abandoned by the Father. And in love, he purchases the forgiveness of our sins. And in love, when he rises again, he clothes his people in his righteousness. And in love, he sends his spirit to make his home in our hearts. And in love, he, he makes an eternal home for us. The love shown to us in the gospel, this true, transformative gracious message of Christ, the love that is shown to us in the gospel that is unlike any other love that we have known. And it's not just that he has shown us love. The gospel isn't kind of a once and for all moment. It is something that we need every day and it's something that impacts us every day. It's a story that is ongoing. It isn't that just Christ loved us once. He continues to love us today. And just think about that. He knows us. And you know what I mean when I say that? Like, he really knows us. 
More than our parents know us, more than our best friends know us, more than our spouses know us, more than our children know us. He knows us. And he loves us. He knows your worst thoughts. And he loves you. He knows all of your lies. And he loves you. He knows the idols that you worship. And he loves you. He knows the lusts of your heart. And he loves you. He knows your selfish motives. And he loves you. He knows your greedy ambition. And he loves you. He knows your sins, past, present, and future. And he loves you. The gospel is a message of love to people who do not deserve it. And what should be our response to the love that has been shown to us through the gospel, folks? Love. Love. Love God and love those around us. The only rational response to the love that has been shown to us in the gospel is to love. It's to allow that love to fill us and allow it to spill out to those around us. And that's exactly what is happening at the church in Colossae. They've received faith and, lo- faith and hope through the gospel of love. And now it's overflowing to those around them. They're loving all the saints. That's what it looks like. That's what this kind of love looks like. If we want to understand how we apply this message to our lives this week, it looks like verse four, to love all the saints. And notice, folks, he says, all. He didn't say love the saints. He didn't say love some of the saints. He says love all the saints. And listen, when he's talking about saints, he's not talking about St. Michael, St. David. We're not that type of church. He's talking about us, God's people. That's what he's talking about. Love all of God's people. Now let me just make an obvious observation. It is easy to love people who are easy to love. You with me? It is easy to love people who are lovable. So think of Ted. Do we call him Ted? The guy behind me at the football match. He's in love, right? For 85 minutes. Because they're doing the right thing. They're, they're finishing their passes. They're scoring the goal. They're, they're making the right blocks. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're creating the right channels. He's in love with Tramier in that moment. But as soon as they start messing up, as soon as they make mistakes, as soon as they stop listening to the crowd and obeying our commands, as soon as they become the people that we don't want them to be, Ted's lost his love. How often do we do the same with people that we've been called to love in here? We easily love the people who serve well and people who speak well of us and people who scratch our back and say nice things. We easily love the people in Liberty Church who are lovable. But what about when people aren't? What about when people make mistakes? Or when people are struggling with just the chaos of their lives. 
What about when people let us down? It's easy to love people who are lovable. And it's easy to love people who are like us. It's true, isn't it? Like we naturally gravitate towards people who are like us. People of the same age, people of the same background, people of the same interests. We feel safe around those people. So we naturally move towards people who are like us and we avoid those who aren't like us. But can I just say so clearly, please listen to me, that is not the gospel. To avoid people who aren't like us, that isn't the gospel. If that is what Jesus did, he would still be in heaven. If he took that view with us, I'm going to avoid people who aren't like me. Well, he'd just stay with the Trinity. But he didn't. He came and he lived amongst us. And he came into close proximity with us. And he engaged in just spectacular acts of intimate love with people who weren't like him. People who offended him. People who turned their back on him. And yet he just showed them love after love after love. That's the gospel, folks. We are called towards a love for all of the saints. That is the natural response to a people who have been showing the most spectacular love. So can I encourage you this week? Move out of your comfort. Push away the frustrations and the niggles. And love the people that you find hard to love. And I'm talking first about this church family. Love the people that you find hard to love. Invite them round to your home. Go out for a walk with them. Send them a message. Pick up the phone and ring them. Bless them in some way. Sit next to them next Sunday. There should be no one who comes into this church who has to sit on their own, folks. Or stand on their own. That's not the gospel. We move towards people whether they're like us or not. Do whatever genuine Christ-like love looks like to you. What about this? Here's an easy one. Why don't you just tell someone that you love them? There is a weird British weirdness that is like, infiltrated the church in the last few hundred years where it's become strange and odd to say, I love you. You notice that? To say to a brother or sister in Christ, I love you. It's become odd. We try and get around it by saying, Johnny, I appreciate you. Julie, I'm so thankful for you. No, I love you. I love you, Julie. We should speak like that. Push away whatever it is. Go towards that person and tell them that you love them. You're not bothered that they're different to you. And you're not bothered that they have different interests. You're not bothered that they look different. You're not bothered. It, like, don't say those things to them because that's not, that's not a loving thing in the moment. But they're the things that we're contesting and fighting against. And just tell that person you love them. That should be so natural for us. Who cares what the world thinks? You know what? In the early church, one of the common accusations that came to them from the religious people who were trying to shut down the movement of Christianity was that, is that the early church, the people in there were, were incestuous because they would see brothers and sisters saying that they loved each other. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? But the church didn't care. 
They didn't care what culture thought of them. They carried on loving in a Christ-like way. The love of Christ overflows in us as a love for all the saints. And let me just say this as we finish. I know that that's hard sometimes. To love like Jesus is hard. It means that we do have to move out of our comfort. It means that we have to push aside our preference to really love like Jesus. That takes our resources as well, our time, our money. It's costly. I know that it's hard, which is why right at the end of our passage in verse 8, Paul says this, that what he has seen in them is their love in the Spirit. Their love was in the Spirit. And every time we see that phrase in Scripture, folks, in the Spirit, it's a reminder that whatever is being talked about, we can't do that thing on our own. We need the resources of heaven. We need the help of God. We need the infilling of the Spirit in our lives in order to do that thing well. So you hear Jesus talking about worshipping in spirit, don't you? We need God's help to help us worship. You hear Paul talking about walking in the Spirit. We saw that in Galatians 5, didn't we? We can't do that on our own. We need the infilling of the Spirit. You hear about Paul talking again about praying in the Spirit. We so need the Spirit to fill us and to help us pray. We talked about that last week because there are so many distractions. And in the same way, Paul reminds us here, if we want to be a people who love like Christ, we need the help of his Spirit. And so can I just encourage you with this? If you find it hard to love all the saints, ask for God's help. Pray and ask him to help you. Ask his spirit to fill you and ask him specifically to do this. Holy Spirit, remind me of the gospel. Remind me of the love that has been shown to me. Remind me of all that Christ has done for me. (coughs) Remind me of the gospel. And in response, help me to love like Jesus. And we don't do this for our glory, folks. We do it for Christ alone. (coughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you Thank you that you are a God who loves. Thank you that you've demonstrated your love to us in sending your son. And as we'll celebrate in a moment, we thank you that as we look to the cross, we see a powerful reminder of the perfect love that was poured out on an imperfect people. And so, Father, we thank you Jesus, we thank you. And Holy Spirit, we ask for your help. We need you. We want to be the people that you have called us and created us to be. A people who would receive and and reflect the glory that has been shown to us. But we need your help. We have insecurities. We have anxieties. We have fears. We have preferences. We have sin which stops us loving in the way that you want us to love. So help us. Help us to put to death the sin of preference where it is present. How was the put to death, the sin of, of, of favoritism? How was to truly be a people who love all the saints because of the love that has been shown to us? Father, we need you. Jesus, we need you.
Holy Spirit, we need you. We call upon you now. And we ask this not for our name, not for our glory, but for Christ alone.